conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. It's 12 after 11 o'clock. We continue leading the conversation on the talking point. My guest for this hour is Patrick Gulati. He's the CEO of Good Governance Africa's Southern Africa Regional Office. Patrick, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me and good morning to your listeners. We're talking about elections, something that you describe as a watering hole of governance. And the conversation could not come at a more appropriate time. Um, What fascinates me about the the particular description you've opted for is that it's about predators and prey (laughs) and both of them being attracted to the central point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Indeed, uh, just like in the wild, you know, where there's a watering hole, you're going to have both of those characters there. And uh, both both of them are looking to get something. So in this case, politicians, when it comes to elections, are looking for power. They are looking for access to resources and make things happen. On the part of the electorate, they are hoping that as they come there to the elections, that their dreams will be fulfilled and their hopes will be realized. So in South Africa in 1994, 1994 was an atmosphere of, it was a euphoric atmosphere. In 2024, it's a horrific atmosphere where there's hopelessness, where there is a sense that something needs to happen to get people's lives changed. And so people are looking forward to that. And politicians are sort of exploiting that platform with their political communication. Patrick, before we come to South Africa, this seems to be a, a recipe that has been tried and tested. And, and the reasons why um, I think politicians keep doing what they're doing, which is making promises they know they can't keep, is because the electorate keeps falling for these promises that we know they don't want to keep or they're never going to keep. Yes. Why? What is it that allows this cycle, this vicious cycle to continue mm. in the way that it is the world over? Look, people are looking for hope. People are looking for their material conditions to be changed. They're looking for jobs. I mean, they're looking for better opportunities the world over. And so politicians are the ones who are who are who have access to the resources. So because governance is about the distribution of those resources, so people are hoping that someone honest, someone who is sincere, someone who really wants to do what they say they're going to do, they're hoping that that is going to happen. But also there are situations where this is happening in other countries where politicians and leaders come and change happens. Uh, it, it, it happens, it's rare, but it does happen. And so pe- people have the sense that maybe for us too it will happen. And so unfortunately, this is a situation in our country where there's so much hopelessness that anyone who promises something, anyone who speaks loud, anyone who seems to be energetic is taken seriously by the electorate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because you used the word energetic. I would argue that they don't even need to be energetic at this point. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But also, but also if you think about it, mm. a lot of them, 
uh, I mean, there's a lot of mobilization that takes place. For mm. example, we look at the attendance at the events, at the political events and so on. A lot of those people are brought in there. You would think that they came here voluntarily, but they were, in the sense that they decided, no, let me drive there. But a lot of them are bust in because they have been given certain sense that you are part of this big thing that's happening. So... Yeah. Are, are, are we, as the electorate in this country, are we just political fodder? Do we just give ourselves up as prey, um, willingly going wherever it is that mm. w- w- we might be supper, but we seem to not <laughs> mind? Well, there's a sense in which you can look at it like that. Mm. Uh, but there's a sense in which you have to actually analyze the material conditions of people. Where people have to have a sense that, you know, I can contribute to putting people in place that can address my situation. Some people's lives have changed over the last few years, but they got into a certain level of development. Let's say you didn't have a house before. Mm. Now you do have a house, but you don't have electricity in the house. You do not have water in the house. So there are levels of desperation that people uh, that affect people. So in, in some ways, you can say, in many respects, people can be a forder. But at the same time, there are real, real issues that necessitate. Because unfortunately, the way to distribution of resources is through political machinery. And unfortunately, that's the only solution that's out there now, um, apart from people working for themselves. But when you have the highest levels of poverty, as we do in the country, mm. then it becomes a, 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 a sort of a, an exercise in desperation and, and in hope. One of the things about being sort of in the middle of campaign season is the fact that politicians say almost anything. It's very rarely fact-checked. Hmm. And more often than not, they know that they can get away with saying it and that they will not be held accountable for, for, for part of it. Hmm. Uh, we put together a compilation, Patrick, hmm. that is a, an example of, of what you're talking about. Hmm. A program 80, Sisazo Waka is into as lingana no one million. One million years into this is our key one. Let's go see into. They said Cyril is going to give us houses to money. <laughs> he has not given the people of Alexander a single house. I'm not telling you fiction because when they insult you, they say you are members of a cult, you follow everything your leader says. Your leader says Cyril did not build a single house in Alexander. The people of South Africa are going to vote for the ANC because we fought load shedding, we fought state capture, we fought corruption, and we create jobs. All right, so th- that's just, of course, a part of, of example. But level an unfair example. I thought that you would have other political parties there too uh, because the promises, I think, they've been some outrageous promises uh, mm. across the board. Um, in, in its election manifesto, mm. the, the EFF just a couple of weeks ago was b- giving us a breakdown of how anybody effectively that is not in employment will qualify for some kind of grant or other. Um, and none of those grants are less than 3,000 rand. And one just wonders how you would fund such a, a, a social program. Mm. Um, 
and still have an effectively running, um, you know, country. And Mm. those are things that one will have the opportunity to continue to question them Mm. as we get into election season. But but the point is that Mm. when these things are said, Mm. I think it's easy for us to dismiss them as, oh, it's just part of campaigning. Mm. But should we be doing that? I've taken some time to read some of the uh, most of the of the manifestos over the, p- the past weekend of the parties that have mm. delivered on them already. It's amazing. I mean, in public policy, we talk about policy structure or problem structuring. You don't get a sense as to how do they come to this solution that they because if you would have done a problem structuring, you would definitely be able to explain how do you come to this. For example. Um, you know, President Ramaphosa was talking about a million, so obviously uh, uh, Malema said no, but he made a promise that within six months of taking over, he will be able to put together, like to to resolve load shedding, because he has a, an army of ele- electrical engineers. Now, that assumes that the problem at ESCOM and with load shedding needs that particular skill set. But there are many other issues that are there. So so basically, and I say in the article that promises are the lubricant, are the oil that lubricates uh, you know, political campaigning. And unfortunately, we as, uh, as people, as electorates, we've got to take our responsibility to really listen carefully to what is being said here. And in the article, I identify a set, certain things that people can do in order for them to make their decisions informed. Rather than just taking what they're hearing, the you know the rhetoric and all of that, so we need people that are going to firstly to look at their lived experiences, look at the promises that were that were fulfilled or not fulfilled in the past, look at the flip flopping, and because people now want you know they change positions according to you know to what is happening at the time, a but, whole but, but range of things. People are allowed to change their minds. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do not have that luxury if you are a politician that no, wants power. No, nothing is finite. Nothing is finite. Remember, <laughs> it, it it reminds me of the. I, I mean, somebody has to do a, a master's thesis mm. on the case of President Jacob Zuma and the evolving political landscape around mm. him. Mm. So just from the part of people who supported him at the forefront of his campaign mm. post Polokwane to how that has changed mm. and to where we are now. Yeah. Because when you talk about political, when you talk about flip-flopping, mm. it, it makes for a fascinating study. Because <laughs> at any given time, mm. Jacob Zuma has always been who he is. But the different players around him um, change mm. as based on their changing interests too. Yeah. And we can track that, by the way. Yes. Indeed. Um, look, there's personality politics in South Africa, and unfortunately, it's an endemic kind of thing that's there. People are not looking objectively at what their leaders are doing and saying. So people would support, for example, President Zuma when he's being accused of raping someone, and they would stand and, and, and support him. They would stand and, and, and support him when he's in, uh, he's in uh, you know, corrupt, uh, accused of corruption. And so they would support him because of their personal affinity with him. But a lot of that support has got nothing to do with principle. And not just President Zuma only. I'm just making an example. But 
You see, we've got a personality politics in South Africa where people will go to their grave supporting someone on the basis of their love for them or whatever the case may be. Or there may be other interests in place because when those people are in power, it could be that people are benefiting something out of it. So, so, so what then happens is that uh, we need to mature as a society, to mature to a level where we have good governance advocates, people that are going to be looking not at who is uh, in power at the time, but whether or not there is good governance under their leadership. Mm -hmm. There's transparency, there's accountability, there is work and delivery on promises. That is what we need to mature to as an electorate of South Africa and other, other countries as well. Why do you believe that we are not objective and that we don't want to have honest conversations about um, politicians and political players that we support? What, what, what is the problem? Because, again, people feel very passionately about those that they support. So mm, mm. everyone is willing to die on the hill of if you support the EFF, Julius Malema, if it's the ANC, Cyril mm. Ramaphosa, or mm. depending on which side of the factions you lie. Yes. But w we feel so strongly about it mm. to the point of not even rationalizing mm. yeah. um, even what might be a truth that is in front of our eyes. I don't know, but I, I suspect that it has to do with the it's a historical political development of South Africa. Remember in 1994, as I said, I used the word euphoric. Then it was about these people, these leaders, that some are coming from prison, some are coming from exile. They're here. Now, it was a sense of being liberated. When people were putting their votes in there, as President, says in, President Ramaphosa says in his article, he says people were, in his State of the Nation addresses, people were crying and all of that. And we're not just voting. We were, we, we were basically voting for democracy. We were putting our, so, so basically what is happening, it was an emotional event. So we have not really uh, completely shifted from that as a society, such that political leaders shape a lot of our thinking in life. For example, look at the discussions everywhere about the Tinsualo story. You realize that President Ramaphosa used that. He is framing the, the discussion for everyone. Everyone is talking about that. So we are in that mode as a society. Very few of us take a step back and really rationally look into this thing and avoid being bamboozled by politics. So it's a matter of political maturity. We are a new democracy, We're only 30 years in democracy. So maybe over time, and I'm working on an article now where I'm now talking about a different kind of political education that is not party political, but that is based on good governance principles that is going to be not linked to, party, to political parties, but it's something that civil society have got to do so that people can mature in how they embrace those in power, so that people can put themselves in a position where they use voting as a tool of power rather than a tool of desperation as things are happening right now. All of this happens, um, you know, in a moment where South Africa, of course, is not the only country that um, will be going to elections this year. In fact, if you look at some of the 
um, surveys that have been done, you have close on half of the world's population mm. that is going to be voting just this year alone. Mm. And so democracy is perhaps going to be facing one of its big tests. And tests, what I mean by that is that Due to the levels of inequality that mm. exist the mm. world over, South Africa, of course, at the top of that list, mm. many people are asking themselves whether democracy still works for them mm. because they've not reaped the benefits of what democracy was supposed to bring. Mm. Yes. Um, in fact, at, at Good Governance Africa, we're discussing this thing very, very strongly. I said to the colleagues, now you've got someone who, who was there in 1994, who voted. But if you're looking, for example, at their lives up to today, there's a lot that they are unhappy about. But if you look at civic education and things like voter education, for example, you find that what we are saying to people is what the ideals, the constitutional ideals say about voting. They say, you know, it's your right. They say, you know, the government is supposed to be, uh, you know, responsive to you after the elections. You need... It's idealistic, but people are saying, listen, I've heard that thing before. I've heard it before, but now I'm here. It has not helped me. So how do you help a person like that? Because we want people to go and register for voting. That's our voter education. And we want them to vote after registering. But people are saying, what for? So in other words, it's, it's a sense in which people have lost their power. But in a democracy, if you are not voting, then you're putting yourself even in worse conditions in terms of the kind of leaders that are going to be put in place. So how do we turn around our voter education in such a way that we make it so that people use their voting as an instrument of holding to account whoever they want? We've seen now the politicians in local government, in local government co coalitions. We've seen the experience of Johannesburg, for example, where there's been changes and changes, where different configurations are put in place in Ekurulu and in, in, in Tuan and everywhere else. So we have to use all of that computation as part of our decision. We may not just watch this on, on news and not use that for our... Sure. Yeah. So, so for me, the main point I'm trying to make is that South Africans, as South Africans, in fact, as Africans, as people generally, we've got to grow to a point that if democracy is going to benefit us, it must be because we are able to influence those that, that are in power and people feel like they can be taken away out of power if they don't do what they say they're going to do. Uh, Patrick, we'll continue the conversation in a moment. It's time for the latest news headlines. We continue the conversation with Patrick Gulati. He's the CEO of Good Governance Africa's Southern Africa Regional Office. We're talking about elections and in particular um, the political campaigning that we see and why it is that we have this cycle of promises being made um, by politicians that we know are unlikely to be kept, but also an electorate that continuously seems to fall for, for those promises and very rarely holds um, political parties accountable. And it's not just a problem of um, incumbency, I believe. It's a problem across the board. Mm. So let's talk then, uh, Patrick, about 
the issue of misinformation and disinformation because that that's a big one. Mm. Um, you now have social media, mm. whether people are using whatever platform that they want. Mm. It's so easy for things to be quoted out of context and mm. um, to be said out of context. What has been most alarming for me mm. has also been to see the distortion of clips. Artificial intelligence is now at a point where you can have a clip of Kathy speaking mm. and this machine imitating Kathy's voice <laughs> literally to the movement of her mouth. Wow. But what is being said there is not anything mm. that Kathy has said. It gave me chills because for for, for, for just general um I think democracy and elections, it it can go bad in so many different ways. Indeed, it's a big problem. In fact, uh, if you read the World Economic Forum uh, risk forecast uh, for 2024, in fact, even when they were meeting, uh, disinformation and misinformation are biggest risk, are the biggest risk up, 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 up at the top of the risks that the world faces today. Disinformation has got in it intention. Whilst misinformation is someone who can just spread information, sharing without really thinking about it. But it's a big problem when it comes to electioneering. Because what people do is misrepresent what their opponents are saying intentionally. And they do that in order to benefit and to gain something out of it. So given the fact that over or around 4 billion people around the world, as you said earlier on, are going for an election this year. So this problem is increasingly becoming a risk factor for democracy. You, you, you're right, uh, because I watch some of your colleagues in the media, um, you know, talking as if they're promoting these financial products and investment packages and things like that. At the beginning, I was shocked because I did not expect that they would use their you know, organizational platforms to do that, only to find out later on that, no, it was a misrepresentation. So we are in a very, very serious problem. I don't know if the legislation, the regulatory uh, bodies are able to catch up as quickly as the damage that can happen is going to be. So I think people on the ground, we who are as consumers of this information, now need to take responsibility to sift through all of that clutter so that we are not confused and, and bamboozled. Let me go to Silo in Mokopani. Silo, good morning. Good morning, Silo. Good morning, Sister. Hi. Hi, hi, Sister. Sorry. Thank you. One last thing. Sorry. Sister, thanks for taking my call. Look, for starters, right, did we really have a democracy or it was just a, a PR exercise back then? whereby we thought that we will have it the same, same thing as the rainbow, uh, the so-called rainbow, because it is not there. Uh, it is there when it suits certain people um, uh, on the different occasions, the same way as we use democracy. I mean, I think we, in the democracy days, that when, when, when it was fought, um, we did not fought to have the same toilet with white people or Indians. I think the main, main point there was to have economical freedom, um, the same rights as white people, their salaries and so forth. Um, and if I look into those that I just mentioned, just guessing, most, mostly white people are still having them. We still have 
too much gap in terms of salaries and so forth between white and black. Um, and as a democracy, for me, it's just a fallacy. I don't see it. Um, it's just, um, I, like I said, it's just a TR. And lastly, to your guest, does he think um, this current administration, this, this current administration, is doing what it's supposed to uh, to do, especially the president promising um, many things. How does he, uh, out of 10, our guest, how much can we give to this current administration? Let's give it. Thank you. All right. All right. So th- thanks for that question. I guess the, 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 the general, I, I don't know whether it's right to say um, disadvantage when it comes to critiquing that um, those that are in, in governance faces that they are judged on their track record, whereas for the political opponents who are asking for a chance mm. at, to run things, y- yes, you look at their manifestos and what they promise, what they promise, but they don't, they haven't actually had a chance necessarily of fully acting out that 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 manifesto, mm. at least not in the way that a party that has had the majority has. But mm. go for it, Patrick. Um, thank you, Silo. I think he's asking a very difficult question to me. Mm. Look, uh, South Africa is a democracy in many respects. There are ways in which you can measure democracy. We have a free media. He's now phoning online to share. We have a free judiciary. We've got a whole range of things that are happening. There's a lot that is not happening that we that is that falls in the realm of what do the people in power do with that? Even though you have the legislation, the resources available, there are people who sometimes just miss a lot of the times misuse that. That separate from democracy as a, as a, as a, as a system. Now, the, this is where the problem is. Uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And I say that those that are incumbent in power exaggerate what they have done. The truth of the matter in South Africa since, 20, since 1994, indeed there have been changes. There have been significant changes that have happened. But the extent to which the, uh, the dream was promised to us the assessment that we are now making is, could they not have done better? And we feel that they could have, but there are things that prevented them from that. And it is those things like corruption, mismanagement, uh, you know, uh, employing poor uh, managerial and leadership people in those places. And those are the things that have got to do with how the people in power are governing. Those that are outside of that are looking in and saying, we can do something better, but we have no track record of that. But if they have been, for example, part of the coalitions or running departments within the municipalities, then we can assess to check. You had an MMC in municipality A. How did that, that, how did they do? Because that would tell us what we could expect. But there are many other issues. Competency, for example, the credibility of the people that are put forward at all these levels, the, uh, the capacity of these people. You've got some people that have never run anything in the world, but they are now given huge responsibilities. So the point we're trying to make is this. For democracy to work, those in power need to feel accountable to people. And we use election for that purpose from the side of the electorate. So really what you're urging us all to do is become a lot more vigilant in this time that we do not become the prey Mm. that, um, you know, the predator 
politicians mm. uh, will ultimately seek to use for this particular moment mm. and move on once they have the power that they're looking for. Yes. Let me take this call from a politician, Bonginkosi Madikizela. Good morning, Bonginkosi. Ah, good morning, Katie. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a listener of The Talking Point. I'm a regular listener of The Talking Point. So I, I really enjoy this conversation. Th- th- thank you. What do you want to add? Look, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, I was listening to him um, attentively. I think we, we as, as I mean, the voters, particularly in South Africa, you know, tend to focus on one issue when they make decisions. Um, as to which political party to vote for. I mean, which is a propaganda, obviously, uh, that some political parties spread, you know, to really uh, defocus people from the real issues. I mean, and it's, it's quite right. The issues of competence, I mean, people don't look at that. I mean, we, we like to play the politics of race because it is a fact that when you decide to vote for a party, you're not doing that because you, you love a particular individual or you love the party. Simple question that you need to ask. Um, does this party have the capacity to deliver on A, B, and C? And what is their track record? And you compare the track record of parties and then make a decision based on that. I mean, whether, whether the people in that particular party love you or not is neither here nor there. We don't join political parties looking for love. We, we join political parties precisely because we want our lives to improve. And I don't think we should be looking, you know, for virgins in the maternity world because you won't find any. <laughs> this, this notion that uh, you've got to look for a perfect leader or a perfect party, those things, I mean... But, but Bongingo, is, is, is the problem not with the politicians themselves? Because they are the ones who put together this propaganda, as you put it, on themselves. Because how they position themselves in the public is that, no, I'm a better pick because of one, two, three, four, five. So the system almost in a way is designed um, to have this kind of outcome where everybody wants to be the one with the moral high ground, wants to be the one who has the greatest ethics, wants to be the one um, who is more perfect than the other. But that is putting it, you know, beautifully. That, I mean, despite what we are saying as, as political leaders in different political parties, people must be able to discern what is right and what is wrong using the available information. For example, we have independent institutions in South Africa uh, that record, you know, um, the service delivery um, in all the municipalities and all provinces to see which provinces are doing that. Of course, I mean, you, we won't find a province that is perfect or a municipality that is perfect. But the information is there for you to be able to see which municipalities, which provinces are doing better, and then you make your decision on the basis of that, all not necessarily right. on the basis of what we are telling you. All right. But people must be able to then look at that and say, because this party is doing better in areas that affect me, I'm going to make my decision on, the, on, on those bases. All right, Pongin Kose, we'll have to leave it there with you for now. Patrick, I hear what Pongin Kose is saying, but even the issue of who's doing better where becomes a debatable issue, right? Yes. And you, you gave the example of Dinswalo earlier. Hmm. 
um, depending on where you're getting your updates from, mm. the Dinswalo story is either a really good story to tell or it's a complete failure. Mm. And uh, very subjective both ways, yeah. depending on who the source or, or, or that view is coming from. Indeed. Um, and in politics, uh, we sometimes, uh, I think uh, 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 Mr. Matigizela made uh, some interesting points there. But in politics, we underestimate the power of emotion sometimes. And uh, because ordinarily, ordinary people are not as rational as we, uh, for example, in the media or in the organizations are. So that could be another another issue there that um, that is that is happening. But you know, you, on your point, Kathy, where you were talking about the role of the politicians, I read, I read in, in a book a, an interesting story about an American president that will forever remain unnamed. The, the person who wrote the book was in the Air Force One when Katrina was taking place there. Mm. He says that the president at the time, I, I think it's one of the disasters, I can't remember very well, but the president was playing cards on the airplane as they were flying to that place. And they were just chatting. But as they were going to step out of the aeroplane, one of the aides came with a glass of water for the president to put literally on the on the face as if he's crying. And as he was walking out of the stairs, the media, like the photographers and the videos, were on that face. So sometimes you have that level of uh, depravity and, you know, uh, problem with the politicians. So... So we need more character, mm. credibility, people that love people. We need a leadership core that sees themselves as the servants of people that are out there to develop people, not to gain power and resources, but to use those for the benefit of people. And that's what good governance is about. Patrick Kulati is where we'll leave it with him for this morning. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. He's the CEO of Good Governance Africa's Southern Africa Regional Office. It's also where we leave it um, on the show for today. We're back with you again tomorrow morning. Up next is the book reading followed by the update at noon.